I want to mention about the uh, little notice that's in the bulletin. I will be here at the church this Wednesday. Um, my tentative hours is from 6 to 9. I was a little late getting here last Wednesday, but around 6 o'clock would show up here at the church and be available for any calls. And I also might be making some calls at that time. And at the same time, it is possible if you want to arrange a visit either to the church or perhaps to our home, and uh, if you would call to make that arrangement, that would be welcome for any reason that you might like. If you want to talk or share things or, or have something from me that I could share with you, that would be fine. So Wednesday nights here at the church from 6 o'clock to around 9 o'clock. I did come out Wednesday night and no one called me. No one showed up. So I sat here and I was all right, did a lot of good studying, and it was a good quiet time, that's for sure. Today I would like to begin what will be kind of a series as, as I can work it in over the next several weeks, and that is sharing from the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. So I would be sharing today from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and this is the letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, the church of God has always been under strain and stress and tension, persecution. We have been pretty free in our country over the past 220 years, 25 years of persecution. The church has really not experienced very much in our day. But it seems like that in a very subtle way, there is more uh, tension between secular society and the church today. And there's some indication that this could continue. That the church as we know it could continue to experience some stress between the society the non-church people out there, non-Christians, who seem to threaten the church on their beliefs in many different ways. And while it has been fairly passive up to this point, there are some, in some ways, it seems like it could get a little more direct. And I lament the day if there are any government uh, regulations that would restrict the churches from speaking out the truth of God's word. And I have heard some rumors, haven't checked them out um, personally, but some, that some nations right now uh, restrict some speaking out, calling it hate language or whatever other words they can use to do it. Now, when God chose to include these accounts of seven letters to the churches, they were specifically to those churches, but they are also written in a way 
that they could be speaking to any church, even today. So as we read these letters, we may be able to make some connection to even our church right here at Oakdale. Now that doesn't mean that all the accusations that are in these letters will apply directly to our church, but they can be at least a, a bit of a warning to us. Now, many of the letters has a lot of positive things in them. So let's just begin to read from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. Now up to this point in the letter, it seems mostly positive. Good things that he has said about the church. But then we notice a tone that changes a bit in verse 4. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. I believe King James Version says your first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. The seven letters of the churches are an example of what Jesus might say to us today. I've often contemplated if God would write either me a personal letter or our church a letter similar to these letters here, what would he say to us? So that requires some self-examination to my, myself to say, Lord, what would you list? What would be your priority to me as an individual about how I have conducted my life or what I'm doing right now? What would be something, as it says right here, that you might have against me? But I have this against you. My thoughts wonder about what could the Lord and would the Lord say he has against me. Now from the beginning, the letter says, this is from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And you might say, notice that he says, I'm writing to the angel of the church in Ephesus. It seems like most believe that he's writing to the pastors 
of these churches or to the leaders. And the term angel there is, is um, sort of substituted for the pastor or leader. And then he says, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now back in the Old Testament, in the uh, tabernacle, they had the holy of holy places. And in that place was a lampstand. And the priest was charged with maintaining that lampstand and keeping the candles burning inside. So Jesus is now our great high priest. And so in the same way, the Bible says here, he is walking among the seven gold lampstands and says, I know your works and your labors. Jesus is keeping the lampstands burning now on our behalf and he is interceding for the churches much the same way the high priest would intercede for the Israelites in the Old Testament times. These are letters and messages to all churches today as much as they were meant at this time. It is important to note that the church is really all of us as individuals. And so please recognize when we would say the church. Who is the church? But each one of us. I am part of the church. And so it's talking basically to us as individuals as much as the whole body collectively. So it is a message for each one of us. What each one of us do individually reflects what the church is. Everyone is important. And so when we see members of God's church living a life that is a contrast to what the Christian life should be, it alarms us. It's a reflection on the church. This letter to the Ephesus, to F, the Ephesians, starts out very positively. Many good activities are mentioned. It seems like they were a, what I would call a hard-working church. In fact, if I was going to title this, I would entitle this Ephesians a busy church. They were hard-working. They were conscious about the things that they were doing. So... Jesus writes, I know your works, your labor, your endurance. So they were busy. Hardworking churches have a lot of, usually a lot of activities. And I have to say that I came from a church in Virginia that had just about as many activities as we could possibly keep up with. They were doing so many things that I couldn't be involved in all the things. And so we had directors of different types of ministries and activities. And sometimes it got to be almost a burden because the church was so busy. We had children's programs. We had senior citizens, men's fellowship, uh, women's fellowship. We had choirs. We had numerous types of things, almost more than I can name. We had programs. And some of the things we called individual ministries. So we had a children's ministry. 
and we had uh, other types of emphasis. We had emphasis on the uh, Operation Christmas Child. And praise the Lord for three full benches of boxes here. I wouldn't even guess the numbers. I would think it would be more than 100 boxes probably here that you have brought in to participate in this ministry. Works, labor, and endurance. Sometimes it's not easy to be a church member because we've got so many things to do we can hardly keep up with it. And if you want to join a church and just come to church on Sunday morning and that's it, well, in many ways that's not enough. There's all kinds of things to, to be involved in. And if you want something to do, just ask me. And that's all you have to do. We, I can give you a half dozen things to do if you'd like to do more, participate. It can be overwhelming and we can get tired sometimes of the church work because there's a lot to it. It takes endurance in the face of challenges. But you know, I'm a little bit like, I think as Jerry Falwell said, I want to work now because I have eternity to rest later. And he, Jerry Falwell was quite a worker for sure. For the most part, I enjoy the work of the church. And even being a pastor, I have greatly enjoyed the, the very most of the work that I have been involved in. Sometimes it has been challenging. Sometimes there's been times when I didn't know what, what to do even. And had to pray so intensely uh, to the Lord to help me. There's been times when Christy and I would make a, a very um, kind of a tense visit with uh, someone from church. We would get in the car and we'd say a prayer before we'd even pull out of the parking lot or the driveway. Lord, help us with this visit. We know what we have to say. We know what we want to communicate. We just pray that the people we're visiting will receive this in a godly way. And I have to say that really almost 100% of the time, that's exactly what happened. When we prayed that the Lord would go with us in these times. And every church member, regardless of what we're involved in, are going to have challenging times. We can't run away from those times. We can step up to them. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance. The Lord knows what we're facing. He's not putting us out there on a limb by ourselves as some kind of a test to see how we're getting along. That's not the Lord's attitude toward us. He is there with us at the moment. And then this letter says that they were very strict in their beliefs. Here it says in verse 2, you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. What a commendable church that tests out the truth that comes from people who might either come in or try to infiltrate the church in one way or the another. Here the Lord is commending those who do not tolerate injustice. Do not 
tolerate things that are not true and are not consistent with God's word. We just don't stand aside and let whoever will come in and give us their doctrine, whatever it might be, their theology. We stand firm on the doctrine that we hold from the word of God. We stand firm on the eternal truths of God's word. We don't look at the Bible and say that was for them and we have a different type of belief now. You know, some people actually say those kinds of things. We have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. You know, in the churches that I have been part of, we didn't just let anyone come in to preach or teach. We wanted to try to be reasonably sure that the guest speaker that we would ask into the church would have a sound theology. Now, you can only do that maybe to some extent, but basically what we're saying is that we wanted to test those that came in. We wanted to know that they, what they would preach and teach would be consistent with what we believed and held in our own church. And the Bible says here that you possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. This speaks back to the churches that might be experiencing some type of persecution from the outside because of their beliefs. The Bible says that you have tolerated and has stood firm and that many things because of my name and have not grown weary. And sometimes these things can kind of seem like they, they can run us down. It's going to take a strong faith and a strong belief in the things that we hold to. It takes diligence to stay strong. Many churches can pride themselves on their knowledge and their maturity, and that's a good thing. And all these things that are mentioned, clear up to verse 4, are extremely critical in the life of the church and good things. And so then we come to verse 4. I have this against you. It almost gives you chills to think that the Lord would say that. But you know, the psalm says, search me and try me and see if there is any wicked way in me. It is the attitude, Lord, examine me. Be honest with me as the Lord will. He won't hold back. He will share with us directly and honestly. You have abandoned the love you've you had at first. You know, it's a good thing in a marriage to maintain the love that we had when we first met. Sometimes I, I think back, you know, I think I made the trip from the mountaintop to the Knobbly Road every single day with very few exceptions for the entire year before we got married. Every, and that was before quarter age, my friends. 
I wonder how many times I have driven through the Green and Gap Road. And one time they tore the bridge out in the middle of Green and Gap Road. I had to go to Maysville. That didn't stop me one bit. Drove clear to Maysville, up the Navi Road, back home as late as I could possibly stay. 11 o'clock, back home up to the mountain. My granddad must have thought that I was just a visitor at the house that stayed once in a while. And I think back and think, well, I should have stayed with granddad a little bit more than I did. But you know, what, what had happened to me? I got bit by the love bug. And so every day, every evening, off from work, grab a bite, and then down the mountain I roll. Every later in the evening back up. And it would be good for any of us to try to remember some of the ways that we felt the reality at the very first of our relationship. How did our heart beat when we were together? Someone told me it made my heart go pitter-patter. And that's pretty much reality. But after all of the experiences that we've had together, sometimes as, as spouses, we can come up against some challenges, even at times in a relationship. But wouldn't it still be good to recall what brought us right together? And I refuse to think that there is a has to be a marked difference in the love we felt at the beginning and the love we feel after 40 years. I believe we can still maintain that. And it's like Jesus is asking the Ephesian church here, where is your love now? What is the emphasis of the love you have? And then this statement about the first love. You have abandoned the love you had at first. How did you feel? Can you remember the early days when you first became a Christian? I tell you, when I was a teenager, I thought that I was going to be an evangelist to the world. My friend Steve, he was a pastor's son. He was my best friend. And we used to just dream about the things that we might do for the Lord in our lives. We were going to be traveling evangelists. We were going to hold revivals all over the place. Although I never imagined myself being a pastor. That never actually entered my mind. But we had a zeal. We had an enthusiasm that we were anxious to just cut loose. Lord! Lead us to where you want us to go. With one exception, I didn't want to go to Africa. <laughs> At that time, I did not want to go to Africa. I may go yet, but I didn't want to go then. But we were saying, Lord, use us. How Jesus loved us. And we responded to that love. And we were, were trying to get accustomed to the thought that Jesus could really use us in our lives somehow. But what happened to that zeal as we go along? Well, I got a job. I'm working steady up at the mines. And, and I didn't even imagine how I could do anything as far as being a pastor. I could hardly believe it yet. That I ended up being a pastor in my life. 
I, I was never thought until I was even about 30 years old that I would even become a pastor at all. Do you remember how you felt in the early days of your coming to the Lord and knowing that you were Christian? Do you remember the thoughts that came into your mind? And I believe that was influenced by the Holy Spirit that come into your mind of the things that you could do. And you know, even with all the knowledge of the things in the first part of this letter, which is good. I know your works, your labor, your endurance. I know how you test those that are, are evil and have not allowed them to come. I know how you have, have had a, a high standard in all these areas. But what is that if we've lost our first love? I tell you, this, this is sort of um, a balance here now. If we have lost our first love. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength. And love thy neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said these are the greatest of all the commandments. Love. We are motivated by our love both in our personal lives and in our church lives. So while we're doing all the best that we can to be a church that has a high standard of truth, we don't want to forget about our love, our personal love that we have. You'll be familiar with this passage of scripture. If I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, if I give my body in order to boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not image, envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. Does not act improperly. It is not selfish. It is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for languages, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect has come, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray together. 
Dear Lord, I pray that the love that we can have will bear all things, will hope all things, and endure all things. I pray, Lord, that the love that we can have will never end. I pray, Lord, that our love will be patient and kind. Lord, help my love to remain as the Word encourages it to. Help us all to find and stay in our first love. I believe we've known that love and we can know that love more. And so in all the work we do as a church, Lord, may our love stand out. May it be our love for the Lord, our love for each other, and our love for others that we are known for here at the Oakdale Covenant Brethren Church. And I know, Lord, that you will walk among us and that we can be solidly in your will during this day we live. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.